Welcome into the Wisports.net podcast. I am Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, also our football writer. And football is going to be the main topic of today's WSN podcast. However, look for a special edition WSN podcast later this week, previewing girls basketball with Norbert Durst, and another special WSN podcast early next week, likely on Monday afternoon, with Mark Miller that will take a look previewing the boys' basketball season because while a lot of attention is on high school football this weekend with the state semifinals, girls' basketball teams started practices around the state of Wisconsin this week. On Monday, boys' basketball teams around the state of Wisconsin begin their practices as well. So it's a busy time of the year. We're wrapping up the fall sports seasons. Only two weeks left. But winter sports already underway, getting practice going, two-a-days, the fun part of the year, right? Nobody likes two-a-days. Coaches don't even like two-a-days. But it's got to be done so you can be prepared. Those first scrimmages come real quick. The first games come even quicker. Although, to be quite honest with you, and I'll save this maybe more for a rant of the week a little bit later in the year, but... I think basketball starts a little bit too early in high school in Wisconsin. I know that there's a lot of people that have uh, come to be very involved with in, in everything, the Thanksgiving tournaments that are held. And, you know, I think there's some people that don't want to lose that. But I don't see any reason why we can't start the high school basketball season after Thanksgiving Give the kids a little bit more time to recover. I mean, even the the volleyball athletes, uh, girls volleyball athletes that also play girls basketball, if you made a deep playoff run in volleyball, you might have a couple days off if you made it to state before you start basketball practice. Maybe a week off if you uh, you know went went to sectionals. For football, I mean, there's football teams that are still playing when basketball begins. And maybe you lose this week, and then you go right to basketball on Monday. I'd like to see basketball push back just a little bit. And uh, I still think plenty of time to get all the games in that you would need to. So maybe that was a mini rant this week right out of the gates. But we will have a, a bigger rant of the week at the end of our WSN podcast this week. Also get to our stat of the week. But before we do that, we're going to talk about as you would expect, the state semifinals in high school football played this week, and we're going to play a little why this team will win. We'll do that with every team still remaining in the high school football playoffs. Now, obviously, not every team can win. There's got to be a winner and loser of every game. But what will it take? What will be the scenario that would play out in favor of each team that would get them to Camp Randall next week. And we'll start in Division One, where we get the big rematch that we've all looked for, that we've all hoped for, between Fond du Lac and Kimberly. Kimberly, even though they lost back in week one, saw their 70-game winning streak come to an end. That was a very young group, very inexperienced group. They lost a lot of starters, a lot of talent off of last year's state championship game. And had a lot of kids stepping into primetime roles for the first time. And still, 
took Fond du Lac right down to the end, and Fond du Lac had to kick a field goal to win it. For Kimberly, the reason they're going to win is because this is a different team than it was back in week one. These players have gained a full year, actually almost a year and a half, by the time you add up all these uh, playoff games, of experience. They're a much deeper team at this point of the year. And as we have seen a number of times with Steve Jones and with this Kimberly program, during this incredible five, six-year run that they're on, they have found a way to win so often. And even in that first game back in week one, uh, I think you could almost look at it as they ran out of time. But this Kimberly team is rolling. Their offense was a little bit held in check uh, in a a win over Nina uh, back in level two it would have been, but then broke out last week against Kimberly, or excuse me, against Bayport, putting up 38 points. Cody Starkle throwing the football. A nice uh, nice group of offensive weapons. Maybe not that singular Blair Mulholland, DJ Stewart type um, difference maker at running back, but they find a way to get it done, as they have done so many times. Fond du Lac will win because this is an incredibly talented, incredibly experienced incredibly well-coached group that has shown that they can beat Kimberly, that they're not intimidated, that when the game is close at the end, they can find the way to make plays. They've shown they can beat Kimberly once, and they will do it again behind an explosive, dynamic rushing attack of Carson Raditz, their quarterback, Eben Sauer, outstanding running back, massive offensive line, incredibly talented, led by Andrew Stone, a defense that flies all over the place, has a a large amount of talent on the defensive side of the ball as well. This is the team that is well-equipped to take down Kimberly, and that's why they get the job done. In the other Division I game, which kind of doesn't, not an afterthought, that's not the right way to put it, but with so much attention paid to the left side of the bracket with Kimberly and Fond du Lac, if you're Muskego and Marquette, you're undefeated, coming out of two of the best conferences in the state, you got to feel a little bit like, where's where's our love? But they are outstanding football teams. And Muskego, once again, with a dynamic running game featuring a number of players that can do damage on the ground. Alex Current filled in admirably when R.J. Bossart went down with an injury. Current was a all-conference type running back for the Warriors. And then when Bossart came back late in the year, really gives them a couple of dynamic game breakers running the football, as well as quarterback uh, A.J. Mackinnon. Their defense has stepped up. They went undefeated in one of the best conferences in the state, the Classic 8. And with that running game that can produce big plays very quickly, they get the job done against Marquette. Speaking of the Hilltoppers, they are going to win because they have embraced a, a increased level of toughness this year throughout the program. They've returned to running the football a little bit more than they have in the past. DeLeon Brown-Williams doing an outstanding job this year running the football. They're still capable of throwing it. Their defense has been very, very good. And they've been good. They've been very good the last few years. But this year, something just a little bit different, and I think it's that toughness level that they embraced beginning in the offseason and throughout this year going undefeated in the Greater Metro Conference. 
And so they get the job done against Muskego. In Division Two, an interesting game between some powerhouse programs going back into the 1990s, early 2000s. Marshfield is here for the first time in a couple seasons. We kind of had some questions about their schedule in the VFA West, but they have answered them in a big way. They gave up some yards to Pulaski last week and Dylan Hendricks running the football, but they made the plays when they needed to. When they had an opportunity to go down and close the game out, they controlled the ball the last few minutes, marched down the field, converted some some key situations, got into field goal range, and won the game over Pulaski, showing that they have the medal, they have the defense and get, that can get the job done. They have seen strong running attacks like they're going to see from Homestead, but their offense a little bit uh, more dynamic, being able to throw the football with Ryan Krieger. And so Marshfield, a good shot to move on, and that's why they will win. Homestead, it's Homestead. What more, what more do we need? What more do we want out of Homestead and the Highlanders? Dave Keel back at it again. Went undefeated in the North Shore Conference, 18th straight conference title for Homestead. They've got a dynamic running game with a number of guys that can hurt you. Jared Schneider, a big play threat. Willie Garrison putting up good numbers. Emery Whedon showing that he can hurt you when he needs to, throwing the football. They played some big physical football teams throughout the year. They played Slinger in the playoffs again, took care of business when they needed to. And you can never count out a Dave Keel coach team. There's a lot to like about the Highlanders anyway, and you add in Dave Keel and his staff, what they know how to do late in the playoffs. And so the Highlanders get the job done. On the other side, we get that state title rematch. Wanakee and Brookfield Central. For Brookfield Central, a shot at redemption. I talked to Jed Kennedy last week, and, and he was trying to downplay you know, what, what that revenge factor, redemption factor meant. But you can be sure that all those kids at Brookfield Central, even if they weren't starters, they knew what happened last year. They were on the sideline. They were playing in the game as, as uh, backups. They know what happened. And they get the job done this time in a big way, beating Wanakee. Behind a dynamic offense, Drew Lashinsky at quarterback, Rashad Lampkin turning into the, one of the best running backs in the state, Julian Banda able to make big plays on the outside. Their defense has been outstanding, has, has carried them at times this year when the offense has struggled. If you go back to Brookfield East in the playoffs, they won 14-0. And then last week, put up 52 points on Waukesha West. So they've shown that they can win in a variety of ways. And that's why they'll win over Wanakee. Wanakee will beat Brookfield Central because that's what Brookfield, that's what Wanakee did last year. That's what Pat Rice and company did last season. A lot of new faces, especially on offense this year, but they have not missed a beat. Jarrett Wolf at quarterback completing over 80% of his passes, putting up some big numbers, showing that he can carry them when he needs to. The defense creating a lot of turnovers. Reed Ryan on the edge causing havoc. And they've got a uh, little bit of an edge on Brookfield Central when you go back to last year and that comeback that the Warriors had. And, of course, Pat Rice, not a bad guy to have on your sideline. One of the greatest coaches in, uh, in Wisconsin history. 
should be a great game and, and really looking forward to seeing how that one goes. In Division Three, Rice Lake is a typical Rice Lake kind of season, just like we saw last year, just like we've seen in a few times. They take a couple lumps during the regular season, very competitive against bigger competition, and then they get to the playoffs and drop down to Division Three, and things are a lot different for the Warriors. Took advantage of also, I think, uh, a very favorable playoff setup. A team that can score in bunches in the running game. They've got some really outstanding athletes at the skill positions. Uh, kids that can go the distance quickly. Dearest Clairvo, Peyton Buckley running and throwing the football. Their defense, giving up a few points, but their offense, man, they can put up points in a hurry. And they can outscore a lot of teams. And they'll outscore West Appear this weekend. West Appear will outscore Rice Lake, however, because West Appear has a dominating defense led by Jake Karshinsky, the outstanding edge player committed to Iowa. Also plays on offense, can do some damage over there. Josh Blount at the quarterback position provides a, uh, a Jay Tollefson type threat in the backfield. And so West appear, no slouch, undefeated, knocks off the defending champion Warriors. Catholic Memorial, one of the most talented teams in the entire state. Only loss was a last-second loss to Muskego, an undefeated team in Division I. Talent all over that roster, especially on the defensive side. They have not uh, been challenged much in a while. Three blowout victories in the playoffs to get to this point, including a 38-0 win over Mount Hora Barneveld. Luke Fox doing a great job at quarterback. Tate Coppolis been a little dinged up here and there, but uh, an outstanding running back. And, and again, the talent level is just so high on that Catholic Memorial squad. Too much for New Berlin Eisenhower. For the Lions of Eisenhower, too much. Not enough. They have... Uh, not enough that they have allowed for opponents, that is. Their defense has been one of the more dominating units in the state this season. Mark Shields, uh, an incredible defensive lineman headed to Northern Iowa, makes plays all over the place. Their offense has been very good. They are undefeated. Got a taste last year getting to that state title game, coming up short against Rice Lake. But they want to get back, and they get back. As the defense takes care of business against Catholic Memorial, the offense does enough to get the job done, and they get another shot at hoisting a gold ball. In Division Four, Little Shoot, undefeated out of the Northeastern Conference, excuse me, head coach Brian Richkowski looking for a star-spangled celebration this year. They went to state a couple seasons ago, finished as runners-up, but they want to get that gold ball. This year, a very balanced team, not surprising that they put up good numbers through the air with Noah Muller throwing the football, Jacob Lilge, but a very strong rushing attack between Isaac Van Dersen and Bryce Schumacher. Over 2,000 yards combined on the ground between those two. Their defense is always very good, and it will take that strong defense to get some stops against St. Croix Central, and Little Shoot does that, gets it done. For St. Croix Central, though, the defending runners-up, state champions two years ago, they have been mowing down the competition. Their running game just is relentless. 
pounding away, pounding away, pounding away with that Veer uh, option offense. Their defense has been outstanding, has, has been as dominating as their offense has been. They've had a couple close games recently against some very good teams in the playoffs. Got by a, a very good undefeated Northwestern squad last week. Beat Somerset for a second time a couple weeks ago. This is a team that's been number one all year, and for good reason, because they're very good, they're very big, they're very physical, they wear you down on offense, and they get the job done. Lakeside Lutheran, a team that you look at and you, you wonder where where the stars are, where the you know the the dominating um, difference maker on offense is. They don't have that singular guy. They've got a lot of different people that make a big time impact on offense, but they have found a way to get it done. 11 and one only loss was to late country Lutheran last week. They dominated a very good Edgerton squad, put up 45 points on Edgerton, held them to 14 points. And so Lakeside Lutheran, one of those teams that's uh, the, the whole equals more than the sum of the parts. And they get the job done over St. Catharines. St. Catharines features one of the most explosive offenses and arguably the most explosive offensive player, individual player in the entire state into Sean Brown, who has been running roughshod over opponents for several years, but especially the last few games. He's now gone over 1,000 yards passing and rushing for the third straight year and he's just getting better and better this season as the games get bigger and bigger. In the last few games here, uh, just going back to last week even, against Martin Luther, 117 passing yards and a touchdown. Had 156 yards on the ground and three scores. He's also been uh, a weapon in the return game. And he is just too much for most opponents. And he's too much for Lakeside Lutheran. And he's got a very good group around him as well. Very good defense with Adrian Garcia, Daryl Carter up front that can control things. And St. Catharines gets to Madison. Stratford gets to Madison, and the Badger fans get to watch future lineman Ben Barton, a junior two-way lineman that committed to Wisconsin earlier this year. Stratford lost to Spencer Columbus Catholic, their state semifinal opponent, back in week one. But the Tigers learned a lot from that one. They'll do much better. They got down 27-0 and had to try to claw back into it when it weren't able to the last time. But the old adage is it's hard to beat a team twice, especially a good team, especially a big, strong, physical football team like Stratford. Kate Ericke has really had an outstanding season and uh, really picked it up lately as well. And so Stratford avenges that earlier loss to Spencer Columbus Catholic. Spencer Columbus Catholic gets back to Madison after a runner-up finish just a couple years ago, already beat Stratford, already have the blueprint with what they need to do. They held Stratford to 80-some rushing yards the first time around, forced Stratford to, to throw the ball a little bit more than what they're usually comfortable with. They have a big physical offensive line, defensive line that can match Stratford, Logan Schernitz, uh, outstanding two-way player, committed to Northern Illinois, 
The battle between he and Ben Barton should be outstanding once again. But Spencer Columbus Catholic, a big physical team with some nice playmakers, gets the job done and gets to Madison. Lake Country Lutheran, looking to get back to Madison after finishing as a Division 5 runner-up last year. Oh, so close. An outstanding game against Amherst. Brought back much of their roster, a lot of the playmakers. Ethan Wilkins at quarterback, Dane Vance at running back. They have not really been challenged this year. Ran through the Midwest Conference, the Midwest Classic Conference, pretty easily. They beat some very good teams in the non-conference. Mineral Point, Darlington, Lakeside Lutheran. Their closest playoff game was a 31-0 win over Marshall back in level one. And so they have not been challenged yet. It's because they're so good. It's because the talent and the experience that they have. And they want to get back to Madison. They want to hoist that first gold ball after, again, getting so close last year. And they do it against St. Mary Springs. The Ledgers, looking to repeat as state champions. Of course, last year, they were the Division VI state champions before moving up this year. And they brought back a ton of talent. They've been ranked number one in Division Five all year. They've already beat some of the best teams in the division. They beat three-time defending champion Amherst not once back in week one, uh, beat week two, excuse me, but twice. Last week, twelve to nothing over Amherst. They've beaten Amro twice. They've beaten Cedar Grove, Belgium, Kingsford, Michigan, Marcusan. Many of those games in dominating fashion. They've had a few games here or there that have been a little closer than what you would expect, but there's just too much talent, too much experience, too much size, and too much Bob Highland going for his 16th state championship. This would be his eighth in the WIAA. He had eight in the WISA days, over 400 wins, the state's winning as coach. They get the job done and get back to Madison to go for that uh, another gold ball. I don't know if they even have a trophy case big enough. I don't know if you could build a trophy case big enough to hold all the hold all the hardware of Springs in Bob Highland. But they get the job done against Lake Country Lutheran, just overwhelming opponents like they have all year. Iola Scandinavia behind Bryce Hittner, one of the the most impactful, most important players in the entire state to his team. Very close to breaking the all-time career rushing record only needs 151 yards. He's into second place. So he's very close to getting that record. And I think he gets it this week against Grantsburg. If Iola Scandinavia wins, it will be because he gets that record. He puts up a big performance. That offensive line at Iola Scandinavia, the offense that they run, He's able to to do a lot of damage. They have some very good playmakers uh, as well, some guys that played in that state championship game last year. But Bryce Hittner carries them to victory in one of the best head-to-head battles that we will get at any point in the year, at any point in the playoffs, because it'll be Hittner and it'll be John Chennault from Grantsburg. They will meet over and over and over. Each plays running back as one of the best running backs in the state of Wisconsin. And each plays middle linebacker is one of the best linebackers in the state of Wisconsin. Somebody should keep track of how many collisions those two have. But Chennault, 
He's bigger, he's faster, and he wins the battle, and he wins, helps Grantsburg win the battle. The Pirates have been very close to breaking through the last couple seasons, and this is the year they get it done. They beat Regis last week, an impressive victory over the previously unbeaten Ramblers. Grantsburg is undefeated themselves, and they ride Chennault. He, he does everything for him. He's going to have 20 tackles. He's going to have 200-plus yards. He's going to have uh, some uh, receptions. He's going to make a difference in special teams. And he's the difference maker that they need to get past Iola Scandinavia. In the other Division Six game, Lancaster, no stranger to getting deep into the playoffs. John Hoke has seven state championships, four runner-up finishes. Took some lumps in the regular season. They had three losses during the regular season. But dropping down to Division Six this year for the first time really benefits them. And they've ran through the playoffs pretty impressively to get to this point. They've taken care of the football, which always is always one of the, the most important things for Lancaster. Some of the struggles that they've had in recent years at times sometimes has been because they don't take care of the football in that option offense. But they will on Friday night against Racine Lutheran. They'll take care of the football, and their defense has really turned it on lately. Been dominating at times, and they'll need that defense, and that defense will help carry them to victory. On the flip side, Racine Lutheran, and by the way, Lancaster, one of the other big advantages that they have is they two-platoon, and they're going to be fresh. They're going to be getting after it. They're going to wear down Racine Lutheran and get the victory, but from the Racine Lutheran perspective, they're just too good, especially with Tyler Tenner. Over 300 yards rushing last week. I got a chance to see him live in person. Broke tackle after tackle after tackle. Probably more broken tackles from him than any running back I have seen this year. Extremely difficult to bring down. Low center of gravity. Runs behind his pads. Good stiff arm. And Cambridge just struggled to get him onto the ground. Even if it looked like he was going to get bottled up for a, you know, at the line of scrimmage or a two-yard gain, so many times he broke it, he bounced it, and was able to get uh, what he needed to get. 310 yards. He also had a strip uh, uh, fumble that he forced and returned for a touchdown. Yeah, Racine Lutheran has some guys that play both ways, but they're tough. They get the job done. They ride Tyler Tenner, get some big plays on uh, some of the reverses that they do out of their offense as well, and they advance to the state finals for the first time in WIAA as they're just too much for Lancaster. How about our Division Seven games? Blackhawk and Bangor, a rematch of last year's Division Seven state championship game. In that one, Bangor rolled up over 400 yards of rushing, got out early on Blackhawk, Forced Blackhawk to do some things they're not very comfortable with. Blackhawk threw the ball 21 times, three of them for inter touch. Uh, excuse me for interceptions, inter touchdowns. That's a new thing, new stat we're going to be keeping. Three interceptions that Blackhawk threw in that Bangor game, and it's a a similar script this week as Bangor, who looked very good in dominating Highland last week. They dominate the time of possession early on, get ahead, force Blackhawk into some uncomfortable, unfamiliar situations. And despite 
some turnover in the roster despite head coaching turnover. Bangor gets back to Madison for the third time in, what, the last four years or five years. Blackhawk gets back to Madison for the second straight year, third or fourth time in the last uh, six, seven years here because they don't get behind. They get out early. Kobe Argyle hits a, a big run early on to stake them to a lead. And they play from in front, and their big physical running game gets the job done. As they get it done over Bangor, who just hasn't quite been the same as last year. They haven't had that same domination level. In fact, losing to Potosi-Cassville, a team that Blackhawk has beaten twice. And so Blackhawk gets the job done and gets back to Madison. On the other side, Edgar, so good, so dominating this year. Their defense... One of the best in the state. I think they have allowed 43 points this year, if I remember correctly, from uh, from adding it up earlier. Three and a half points a game. They've got seven shutouts. And the big thing with, uh, with Edgar sometimes, even if you slow down their offense, their defense is so good at forcing turnovers that it puts their offense in good positions. Their special teams is... One of the best in the state. Last week, they scored two punt, uh, punt return touchdowns in a minute and a half by two different guys. Between turnovers and special teams, they get the job done, and they move on to state again. Reedsville doesn't follow the path that so many Edgar opponents have followed over the years, though. Reedsville doesn't turn the ball over on Friday night. They don't allow big plays in special teams. They force Edgar to go down the field two, three yards at a time, 10, 12 plays at a time. Reedsville's defense has been very good this year. Reedsville gets enough big plays out of their skill position guys in key situations. Brandon Stelzer hammers away running the football. Carson Shanilek, their quarterback, makes some big plays in the passing game, scrambles for some yards, picks up a key first down with his legs. Reedsville springs the upset, and that's why they move on. So that's the why. That's the why each team will win. Now, I don't know which, which why is going to be right, but that's the script, that's the scenario that I see playing out for each team as they win Friday night to move on to next week's state championship football games. Our stat of the week this week is 34. And it doesn't relate to football. It is the number of years that Mark Miller of WSN has published the Wisconsin Basketball Yearbook, an incredible publication, often imitated, never quite duplicated, I can tell you from personal experience, we did a girls basketball yearbook for uh, several years at WSN. We also did a gridiron guide football yearbook. It is tough, extremely difficult to put all of that information together, but Mark does it. It does it incredibly well. 34 years doing the Wisconsin basketball yearbook. It has been, been become a Bible for many high school sports fans, many high school basketball fans around the state. You can find the top players to watch in each conference, the top returning players, any newcomers of note on every team in the state, their schedule, their head coach information, 
Predictions on their conference finish. Returning all conference players. You can find player rankings for the senior class, the top 50 seniors, others to watch, the top 10 teams in each division, a preview of the colleges in the state, not only Wisconsin and Marquette and the other division ones, but also all the way down to division threes, junior colleges, all kinds of information in the Wisconsin basketball yearbook. If you have not ordered yours yet, you're missing out and you need to go to wbby.com right now and order your basketball yearbook. You can also find the link on WSN. You will not spend a better $25 or $30 with shipping, something like that. You will not spend a better amount the entire year than what you spend on the Wisconsin basketball yearbook. My rant of the week this week, as we are getting a little long over the half hour mark of our podcast this week, but you know what? It's the state semifinals in high school football. Some conversations that uh, took place, some referendums that were on the ballots this week, a busy voting week, of course, and a number of schools went to referendum for a number of different things. Some of them went for operational expenses. Some of them went for safety measures. Some of them went for new schools. Congratulations, by the way, to my friends over at Wisconsin Dells, Terry Slack, Aaron Mack, company over there, finally got their school approved, their new high school approved, much needed. They were operating at 135% capacity. A new school coming for Wisconsin Dells, overdue, but better late than never. Big time donations from the community, support from the, uh, the tourism industry as well for that project. And so that will get done. But there were also a number of schools, a number of districts that had questions on the ballot for referendums that asked about athletic complex improvements and or field turf. And field turf is an increasingly common thing, but it's not just for big schools. I I hear it a number of times. Well, it's just for big schools. Only the rich schools can can afford that. Almost over a quarter of the schools in the state of Wisconsin play on field turf right now. Here's some small and rural schools that have field turf as of right now. Arcadia, Cameron, Cumberland, Durand, Kohler, GET, Lomira, McFarland, Medford, Merrill, Northwestern, Osceola, Stanley Boyd, University School, Wapaka, Fall River, and Bigfoot have approved it this week to go forward. Or, I'm sorry, Fall River actually uh, has already uh, put theirs into, into motion, and I think they've started construction or maybe even are close to being finished. Uh, but Bigfoot approved this week their athletic improvements for their turf field. And so when you see schools like in Arcadia, a Durand, a Stanley Boyd, who, by the way, didn't even have to go to referendum to complete their athletic field improvements. They had run their district, and their district was in such sound shape financially that they just had it in the budget to be able to do that. And it was not only their football field, it was also their softball and, I believe, baseball fields that were part of that a few years ago. I know and understand and appreciate that not every school is in that kind of a position, especially with declining enrollments, with the challenges that come with the 
some of the limits on state aid that have been put into place. But it can be done. It's not just for big schools. It can benefit small schools significantly. It can benefit especially those schools that have multiple levels of football that offer boys' soccer, girls' soccer, that could take advantage of it as well, that have PE classes that can take advantage of it, that have baseball and softball teams in the spring that might be able to get some practices in on it when the fields are too wet, too frozen, too snowy, too whatever. The field turf is becoming more and more common. Many schools, smaller schools, rural schools, not only have it, like some of the ones I mentioned, but have looked into it, have taken it to referendum, maybe didn't pass quite yet. Schools that have studied it, that have included it in their surveys that they've done. It's becoming more and more common when you look at all the benefits that it entails, if you can take advantage of it with a large number of uh, of athletic teams, of uh, clubs and organizations at your school that can use it, if you can rent it out either for hosting playoff games perhaps to other entities in the community, if your youth football programs can play on it, you can sure get a lot of use out of it, and it sure can be a big uh, rallying point and a big benefit for your school, for your athletic teams, and for your community. It can be done. It's not for everybody. I understand that, especially the the really really small schools. But those schools in you know the rural situations in D three down to D five, maybe D six. If it's not something that you've at least explored or considered, it, it might be time to. And again, I, I fully understand that. Some districts are in a position where they're struggling just to meet operational costs, that they're having to cut positions, teachers, programs, things like that. And and that's a tough situation, and it's not for them. But it can be done in a lot of places. If Fall River can put field turf in, there's a lot of places that can. If you look at the return on investment that you get out of investment in athletics, in extracurricular activities that include not only athletics, but choir, band, forensics, other clubs and organizations. It is incredible. Extracurricular activities take up less than 3% of the budget at most schools. At some places, the participation rate in athletics is well north of 50% of the students. So if you spend 3% of your budget to have a positive impact on over 50% of your kids, that's a pretty darn good return on investment. Multiple studies show the, at minimum, correlation, if not causational aspects of participation in high school athletics and improved academics, improved rates of uh, lower use of tobacco and smoking and alcohol and drugs, um, improve success in, uh, in, in student, or excuse me, in student achievement and in many other things. And don't forget, this is an era of keeping up with the Joneses, of open enrollment, where if you aren't investing in your school, people are going to be leaving your school district to find a district that is investing in its school. And a field turf facility, a great athletic facility, Highly competitive and outstanding, well-coached, successful athletic programs can be a big draw. 
for school districts. Whether we think that's good, bad, or indifferent is a different story. But with open enrollment, kids can move around quite a bit, even in rural areas. And so if you invest in your school, invest in your community, it pays off dividends. And field turf is a possible, potential way that you can make those investments. Again, a big week this week, the Level 4 football playoffs, the state semifinals, basketball on the schedule already with girls' practices starting this week, coming up with the first girls' basketball games next week, boys' basketball practice starting next week. An incredible time of the year. If you can't get to a football game this Friday, check out our article that we will have on Wisports.net on Thursday that will give you a number of streaming options for both audio and video. And then, of course, next week. If you can't get to Camp Randall to watch the games in person, you can watch them on Fox Sports Wisconsin. You can stream them on uh, Fox Sports Go. Check out the games. There's always some incredible performances, individual and team. And we will see you, hopefully, at a game this week or at Camp Randall Stadium next week. I'm Travis Wilson for WISports.net and the WSN Podcast. We'll see you at a game.